I've been speaking for a number of weeks now on the topic of holiness. And we've been talking about it in terms of what it means, where it begins, uh, what it means to us individually. Today I want to talk about the impact of holiness, our holiness, and God's holiness on others. Two stories, Mark chapter 4, beginning of verse number 35. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he, meaning Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, What, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Turn to the gospel according to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, I'll begin reading in verse number 1. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said, Master... We have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let you, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell on his knees he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for now you will catch men. The impact of holiness on others. As I mentioned, we've talked about this topic, and we talked about it. It began with the reverence of God. Reverencing and having a respect for his name. A desire to see his name honored, unlike in our society, and not trashed. Then we talked about personal impacts of holiness when we talked about in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah caught a vision 
of seeing the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. That gave him a realistic view of who God was and is, and also gave him a realistic view of himself and other people. Many times people who are perceived as holy or those, and hopefully that includes all of us, who are endeavoring to pursue a holy life, we're not often seen in the best light, are we? We're seen as judgmental. It's where the phrase holier than thou comes from, and it's not meant as a compliment. We're seen as self-righteous. Bottom line is we're seen as snobs. The truth is, many times this observation or perception is deserved. But it also demonstrates another truth. The impact of either achieved holiness or the pursuit of holiness, what it can have on other people. You and I pursuing a holy life, you and I pursuing right living can make other people uncomfortable. It can make them feel convicted. It can make them feel out of place. It can make them feel like they don't want to be around people who are looking for right things. They want to go back to being around people who are looking for awful things. In these passages, the disciples are confronted with the holiness of Jesus because where there is his holiness, how many know there is his power? His presence, which is a holy presence, brought great things. It stopped a storm that otherwise would have destroyed everything. And it brought fish, unlike these professional, lifelong, trained fishermen had never seen before. How did they react to Jesus' holiness and his power? How did they react to his presence being expanded and having an impact on life around them? How do we? So let's look at these two stories. They go out in the boat at evening, and a great storm arises, and they are terrified. And where is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Master of all creation, the Prince of Peace? Where is he? He's sleeping. When things are going really wrong in your life, how many know there are those who just get annoyed when someone comes up to you with this big smile? And says, good morning. Jesus was with them, but in the back of the boat, sleeping. And they wake him up, not to say, Jesus, help us. Not to wake him up to let him know what's going on. They wake him up with an accusation. Don't you care about us? Now, let's be clear. This storm arose, and it had the power to destroy them. And these were not novice sailors. They were lifelong fishermen who had been on that same sea all their lives, and they knew how to handle it. So this storm had to be of a magnitude and a size of which they had never seen if it frightened them. They wake him. But they're in the midst of this storm, That makes them terrified. That brings fear 
and fright to their very being. And why are they there? Because Jesus said, go there. Anyone ever been in the midst of a storm of life and wonder, God, where are you? Why, why am I here? Now, yes, we need to understand that sinful choices and poor choices have consequences. But there are times in our lives when storms are raging and life is going upside down and you are right where God wants you. I know I didn't expect an amen on that one. That's why James said in chapter 1, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Because the testing of your faith is precious and it leads to endurance or patience. They wake him and say, don't you care? It hadn't been written yet, so they couldn't read Romans chapter 8, where Paul says all things work together for good to those who love God. But we can feel that way sometimes. Lord, I'm following you the best I know how. I'm reading your word. I'm getting close to you. I feel an intimate bond and connection in our times of prayer. And yet that person who annoys me to no end, you haven't disposed of them yet, Lord. And don't get so holy at me. You're thinking the same things I do sometimes. But he speaks to the storm. And it goes away. He says, peace be still. And all of a sudden, this raging scene is now, there's all calm in the storm, on the sea. There's no calm in the sailors. They're terrified. What is this? He comments, why were you afraid? Where was your faith? They were about to die. This storm was a great storm. Another gospel that relates the same story reveals that the water was coming over the edge into the boat. And with a simple phrase, peace, be still. And it says there was a great calm, at least on the water. They feared exceedingly. It's always amazed me when someone's going through something and there is a resolution there's not this immediate calm within us. Like, yeah, the problem went away. How did it go away? Their fear seemed to increase. While the storm was raging, they were afraid. When the storm went away, they were more afraid. When he removes the storm, they were beyond terrified. And all they can wonder is what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the seas obey him. Oftentimes, faced with who God is, faced with his majesty, faced with his holiness, faced with all that he represents, for the average person can be a terrifying situation. His presence calmed the storm, but it made them nervous. They had trouble understanding what just happened. And in our walk of faith, how many have already learned we're not always going to understand everything God does? 
Don't be surprised then if as you've come to that realization and you and I have come to that sense of peace and trust in the Lord that he's allowed to work everything out. After all, he's God and we're not. Don't be surprised if others around you don't quite get it as to how you can trust God for the situation when in you there's peace and in them there's anxiety. Don't be surprised if people are nervous when they can't figure you out. There's something, there must be something wrong with you. After all, if I were in your situation, I would be nervous. I would be popping pills. I'd be drinking right now. Don't be surprised if people don't understand how you can have joy in the midst of chaos. Don't be surprised if not only people become confused, but frightened. And don't be surprised if that display or expression of confusion is anger or contempt, like, what's wrong with you? Or more like, there must be something wrong with you. Because if I had experienced that tragedy, if I had gone through that loss, I'd be doing this. Even if they see the benefit that joy and peace and holy living and following Jesus has in your life and that it gives you the ability to walk through life's storms in a different way. Yes, when we have lost, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope, the Bible says. Even if they see the benefit in you, people become uncomfortable, and they'd rather you join them back in the pit that is their lives. So when you and I pursue the Holy One, He's going to have an impact on you. He's going to have an impact on me. And when you and I pursue the Holy One, that impact will impact others. Especially if that impact raises questions in their life. How many know most people don't like to be questioned? And that includes all of us. We don't like to be questioned especially in issues that we think are no one's business, like what was happening here where Jesus said, where was your faith? Mm. Okay, you calmed the storm and the seas, but aren't you getting a little personal here, God? Why couldn't you believe God for this? Why couldn't you remain faithful? You see, when God's people truly pursue holiness and a closer walk with the Lord, that will impact others. And if I can levy a fair criticism against the American church, it's that we have gotten to a place where we're concerned with people being more comfortable than God being comfortable. So my position is if you pursuing right living, if you and I pursuing holiness impacts others in a certain way, let it. Let it impact them. Don't let their reactions to your holiness bother you. I've shared this before. I've been working on the current job, secular job that I have now for eight years. And other than this past year when we had the pandemic, every year 
they would have a holiday gathering for the entire company. It's amazing when you see 1,400 people get together to party at Christmas time. And for the first five or six years, the guys in my division, in my little department, always had one goal when we got to the holiday party. Is this the year that Hiram's going to drink? And they would say, that's our goal. And I would say it every year. You guys got to dream a little higher. If that's your life's pursuit, you've got to come up higher. But we want you to come to the party and have fun. I will. We want you to come to the party and enjoy yourself. I will. And then I would say, and I want to be able to come to the party and the next day remember it. You won't. I'll never forget this story, and I hope this friend is not watching by online. But it was maybe I'd been there four or five years, and it was somebody who worked for me. And he had gone to the holiday party, and it was clear he had been drinking too much. And so when the party ended around 10, how many know for me, when a party ends, I go home. He went to the, and I didn't know this phrase existed, the after party. And he went to the after party. And I'm like, when did you get home? Oh, around two or three. What happened? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> but I woke up at two o'clock in the morning. I was at a bus stop. Just sitting there. Well, how'd you get there? I'm not quite sure. So I made my way home. And what did your wife say? I slept on the couch. I didn't want to talk to her right now. But he was at work bright and early at 8.30. And I looked at him and said, is this really your idea of fun? And he just kind of laughed at me and walked away. But when you and I pursue right things, it has an impact on other people. Church, let it. Let it impact them. Let it make them nervous. Let it make them uncomfortable. I follow the word of God. That makes me uncomfortable. Really, then you have a problem. Because I'm not going to stop following God's word. Two words I love to say all the time. Oh, well. It's going to bother you? Oh, well. Let it. We should not be a church that backs down. We should not be a church that backs away from what thus saith the Lord. We should be a people that stay focused on living the way he wants us to and not backing down, asking them, hey, if you'd like to remember the things you do, why don't you join us? And they'll begin to ask of you, what kind of man or woman is this? That even in the midst of a storm, there's peace. Jesus was able to pronounce to the storm, peace be still. Because in him was peace. How do I know? In the midst of the storm, he was sound asleep. He was not bothered by this terrifying situation. He knew who he was. Do we as God's people know who Jesus is? The second story, also involving a boat, 
The disciples had just come back from fishing. Now, understanding the, the uh, surrounding is that the Lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee, it's also called, is about 800 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded by mountains. So because of its, just its normal geography, it is highly susceptible to storms. But they, these were, again, experienced fishermen. And they knew that the time to catch fish was at night and by going close to the shore. That's how you did it in those days. Here, Jesus is saying it's broad daylight and go into the deep part of the lake. And you could hear it in Peter's response. Uh, Lord, I don't teach you or tell you how to preach. Don't tell me how to fish. Now, they're tired from fishing all night, and that fatigue is multiplied because in fishing all night, they catch nothing. And Jesus says, let's go out again. And they lower their nets, and they catch more fish, not than they have in a while, than they ever have in their careers. So much so that the boat was in danger of going under. So they have to get help from other lifelong fishermen. And now they're both boats are in danger of going under. What would your reaction be to getting the biggest catch of your entire professional career? Most people in this um, culture would be Jesus, you and me, we're going places. Jesus displays his power and the power of his word and his presence. And he displays the benefit of obedience when Peter obeyed his word about going into the deep and dropping his net. But all Peter can say at the end of it is depart from me. You see, Peter's eyes were opened as to who he was speaking with. I really believe sometimes the church in our culture just needs to understand who it is we're talking to, who it is we're praying to, who it is we're worshiping. Peter's comment was, depart from me, because Peter, like Isaiah back in Isaiah 6, got a glimpse of what the impact of having the Holy One of Heaven in our presence does, and it has an impact. And when you follow that line of life, a lot of people aren't going to want you around. They're not going to want you to be with them. As if shared, I, for 15 years, was a sports official. I umpired high school baseball, did even some college baseball, and then umpired high school football. There is a lot of youth sports played on Long Island. So in each season, I was busy. But I made certain things clear to my dispatch. And everyone's got to make their own mind here. I'm just, I'm just sharing how it impacted me. And possibly because of me being a minister, but oh, I did this even before. They would, I would provide my availability. They would load me up with games, especially during baseball season. And I remember the dispatcher coming to me once and said, Hiram, I noticed something about your schedule. And I, what's that? 
Well, I understand why you're not available from 9 to 5. Because you're working a full-time job. <laughs> yeah. And you leave Saturday all open. And on Sunday, you're only available after 1 o'clock. Yeah. What are you doing be before 1 o'clock? Are you sleeping? I said, trust me, I am not sleeping. Well, what are you doing? Oh, I'm in church. <laughs> and I'll never forget his next comment. Well, during baseball season, do you have to be? <laughs> and I laughed, and I said, yes, I do. Then it came football season a couple years later, and while I was focused on, on refereeing high school football, which is through the school system, I would, we would also get called to officiate the various other leagues, PAL and the other leagues that are on Long Island. And they play all kinds of nights, Friday night, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. But the PAL dispatcher would not assign any games to you whatsoever unless your, availabil your availability also included you being available Sunday mornings. And so I said, well, then I can't referee PAL football. And the second year that we were, our association was officiating those games, the head of it came to me and said, look, I'd like to get you into refereeing PAL football. I said, yeah, I'm available Friday nights, mostly all day Saturday and Sunday afternoons. But we have a rule. We're not going to assign any games to anybody unless you're also available Sunday mornings. And then I looked at him and said, then you're not going to assign me any games. He goes, why? Well, because I'm busy. Doing what? I'm in church. Now, everyone's got to follow their own heart here, and I'm not saying that things can't come up on Sunday mornings. This was about my making a point to an association. My making a point about my general availability and, in general, what mattered to me. And it would be one thing if he just said, okay, that's your principle. You know, you be you, I'll be me, and we went away. But I could see it made him uncomfortable. It almost like he wanted to purpose in his being. How can I get you to change your mind? Almost like the guys at work wanted me to drink. No, this is who I am. This is what I follow. We don't like being to make feel uncomfortable. But that's okay. Let them feel that way. You see, God's grace is what gets us through. It's God's grace. It's God's power that is my provision. Because in turning away PAL officiating, quite honestly, I turned away a whole lot of money. But my football association was... My football association was never my provider. God's my provider. My current employer is not my provider. God is my provider. And if my employer who provides for me now as a channel of God were to ask me to do something or be somewhere or involve myself in something that went against my conscience, they would get told, I'm Busy. I'm not into that because I follow what thus saith the Lord and I'm not backing down. If it bothers you, if it makes you uncomfortable, oh well. 
We have this notion, even us as church folks, that somehow God blesses us because, after all, we're wonderful. Now, yes, you all are wonderful. This is one of the most wonderful, clearly most good-looking groups I've ever been around. But God does not bless us because we're wonderful. God blesses us because he's wonderful. Your pursuit of a holy God with a proper understanding of his position in this world, it's going to make other people uncomfortable. It made the disciples uncomfortable to be around Jesus when all of a sudden he was doing stuff. So rather than deal with their selfishness, rather than deal with their own sin, Peter's comment was, get away from me. Depart from me. People might be blunt. They might say, go away. Please, stay away from me. They may tease and criticize. I've heard after many a holiday party at work, oh, Hiram, you should have joined us for the after party. We had so much fun. Yeah, tell me about it. Well, I can't. Exactly. Many times they may not tease or criticize you. They just will try to avoid you. But that's the lot of an ambassador. And you are a pilgrim and an ambassador in this land. We honor and love our nation. But in spiritual terms, the truth is this land is not my home. My home is another kingdom whose maker is God. Church, our pursuit of holiness is going to have an impact on other people. Now, it should be that they see the things around us. If the impact our pursuit is having on them is because we've become self-righteous, judgmental snobs, that's different. That's not what we're called to be. Because even when Peter said, depart from me, Jesus didn't go anywhere. He stayed there and continued to be an influence on Peter's life, on all the disciples' lives, who were all saying, depart from me. So in this culture, which we're not going to be able to, you know, I I get asked all the time, do you believe this is a Christian nation? I'll make it clear. No, it it isn't. Then I get asked the philosophical question, which is really geared toward engaging in a pointless debate, were we ever? That is irrelevant right now. We aren't at the moment. And that's what matters. We aren't. But God's church needs to always be a Christian church. People, this is not a social club. This is not just something where we come together because we love each other, which we do, and we formed a bond with family, which we have. But we're here because we want to draw close to Jesus. We want to come 
into his presence. We want those tongues from the altar to bring that coal and purify us like they did Isaiah. We want to be able to stand when he says in his presence, where will I send someone who will go for me today and say, here am I, send me. Because notice, even with Peter saying, depart from me, in the midst of this display of Jesus' holiness and power, the story ends with a mission. With Jesus saying to Peter, your days of catching fish as your primary vocation are done. You may still do it, but now you're going to catch men. You're going to catch souls. I'm going to use you in a great mission to bring the gospel of love and peace to a heartless and helpless world. And so when he purifies us, it's not just for our benefit. There's going to be a mission at the end of that. Go. I got work for you. Who will I send? It needs to be us, people. Here am I. Send me. So when the holiness in your life begins to impact others, let it. And if the holiness in your life doesn't impact anybody, you need to get on your knees and pray and ask God why. Because we need to be more like him not more like the world. Stand with me, please.